Hey, Podnazis, welcome to Lunch for the Rest of Us, episode 236. Uh, my name is Dordor Geek. Uh, I'm the host of this show. And never forget, if you want to partake in this show completely ad-free, you can if you go to patreon.com slash podnuts. Because, you know, interrupting the show every 15 minutes with, with, with ads happens in every show, doesn't it? Uh, but speaking of ad-free, we're also, uh, we are also uh, joined by Bruce. How's everything going, man? Dordor's going absolutely fine. And on top of that, surprise, it's snowing here in New England. Well, I'll say this. Uh, it sprinkled here, but then immediately the temperature starting to go up, and we've got a let, just a little bit of sleety, um, frozen rain kind of thing. But then it, it just immediately melted, and I, I don't mind snow. It can snow a lot, but I don't like ice and like freezing rain. Well, it doesn't matter because tomorrow it's all gone because it's going into the 40s. So there you go. Well, to speak, uh, let's just to say to, to uh, speak more worldly, did you hear about Pakistan and their snow troubles? They get snow there? Uh, they got 11 feet of snow in less than, I think it was, two days. Well, that's what happens when you're home to Osama bin Laden. I guess. I just know when I thought of Pakistan, I didn't really think snow, but they do have mountains. So I'm going to guess it fell in the mountain areas. I don't know. Yeah, 11 feet. Wow. that's They deserve it. Good luck to them. Well, uh, I'm just happy that we didn't get 11 feet here, and uh, and um, because that's a little bit insane. Um, I will say first, uh, like a quick just announcement, disclaimer kind of thing. Um, I did receive uh, four days ago or so uh, my PineBook Pro. If you don't know what the PineBook Pro is, just think uh, 14-inch metal laptop uh, running an ARM processor, four gigs of RAM. The ARM processor is a RK3399. It's too much to go into right now, but it's two hundred dollars. Uh, build quality alone is like a four to five hundred dollar laptop, uh, and I'm gently like shocked at how frigging well everything runs on this thing so far. Uh, I talk about it a lot on the mini PC show. If this kind of thing interests you, I think uh, it's definitely worth looking at as a investment. Oh, absolutely! I think it's actually about time that this came out. Uh, you know, it's funny because. You know, my hardware that I have right now is not necessarily too old. I've actually upgraded within the last two years or so. But, you know, it's funny. One of the things I want to try to avoid is, uh, well, for a musician, they call it uh, guitar acquisition syndrome. You know, I want to avoid that with hardware because I'll tell you, once you go down that road, uh, there's no stopping and the money just goes down the well. Well, I will say you have to be, and, I, and this is why I host a show called Mini pc show and not you know gaming machine show because i like to be able to afford you know stuff like water and bread so a 35 dollar mini computer i can buy a couple of them a year uh two thousand dollar computer uh nope i don't think i ever bought a two thousand well actually i did i want to say it was back in around 1991 well you know i have to tell you i went to a um uh an azure um, get together this past Wednesday and it was sort of done under the guise of come for active directory and then they'll show us another application. Well, unfortunately the guy doing the active directory talk bowed out. So they gave us a pitch about something called uh, Microsoft graphs. And, uh, you know, the biggest problem with Microsoft is that they, they create things to push out, to consumers whether they want it or not and the way they started off the conversation was um 
here's something that'll help your user experience. And after the talk was done, I basically said, well, you know, I work managing Windows shares and uh, Active Directory. How is this going to help me during my day to day? The guy kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you know, it is in beta. And right now, uh, probably not going to help you a whole lot, you know, and it's funny because that's how everything from Microsoft works. This is something you need, whether you know it or not. Yeah, I would say that they're good at that, but I'm I'm not going to lie to you and say they're good at that. Um, Yeah. And like um, I said to Bruce before the show, this is the one kind of show where I do think we have we're allowed certain caveats kind of thing. Uh, because this is Linux for the rest of us, spelled out in actual letters and not using numbers like I'm a 13-year-old kid who thinks he's elite. Um, we can talk about anything in, around, or involving Linux. And sooner or later, we're going to talk some enterprise stuff, but not, not you know, not until the sleeping pills come in. Um, but we can talk about like a year in review, anything surrounded by or uh, uh, affected by Linux or free Libra open source software. Um it's been a very mixed bag for me, at least, as far as the world of Linux and free software. I don't know about you, Bruce. It's actually been a seismic change, uh, especially for the fine folks over at the Free Software Foundation, because, I mean, their masthead, their their world overall leader had stepped away. And this on the uh, verge of the Jeffrey Epstein case. Uh, it's a long, convoluted story, but essentially, I mean, when you take a man on the surface, you know, he basically is telling a lot of the MIT faculty, it's like, let's slow down. Why don't we find out all the information before we decide to hang certain members of the MIT community? And, you know, I don't find myself siding with uh, Stallman on very many things. But, you know, in this case, you know, he's right. He wasn't defending the faculty member per se but the fact of the matter is he said let's get all the details out in the open first before we start this uh witch hunt and um that wasn't enough for him so he stepped down and of course like anything else the free software foundation themselves john sullivan the president said you know their views don't necessarily align with richard stallman's and you know they're essentially letting stallman go can you imagine what would happen if the linux foundation did that with torvalds uh, well, first off, hell of freeze over, I think, kind of thing. Um, and I'll say in typical RMS fashion, I'm not 100% sure it was what he said, but his style of speaking was like the initial offensive thing. And then what he said certainly did not help his cause kind of thing. Um, after all of the stupid things we've seen this man say, after like we've literally seen him like eat toe cheese on camera, and you know like a decade ago and we've seen this guy say some of the stupidest stuff that's ever existed it's painfully obvious he's never been married it's painfully obvious he will never be married because the man can't spell the word compromise life is compromise you know that's the sad truth nobody gets everything that we want i've been singing to my kids since they were babies you can't always get what you want but if you try sometimes you just might find you get what you need and with, with Richard Stallman, it's like he just will not stop pounding his fist, insisting he gets everything that he his way or else. Yep. And it comes with a, a high price tag. And well, the fact that he's walking, walking away from it, some folks actually say maybe eventually the herd will finally come out. Yes. And I hate to say that it might be one of the best things. See, you can never look the gift horse in the mouth. You really can't know what the ripples are going to be, the effects going to be. But something tells me 
it might be the best for both parties. He might now be able to sit down and dedicate time towards something he's actually passionate, passionate a, uh, a about coding wise or something and get something actually done instead of just telling everyone that they're wrong, that they're evil, that they're stupid, that you have to say GNU in the beginning kind of stuff uh, and actually do something that actually is beneficial. And the FSS, I guarantee you, are in a better, uh, healthier kind of place for themselves. Uh, and actually, before we let this runaway train leave the station, should we actually hit up the viewer mail first? Oh, yes, please, please. All right. Um, let's see. So the first one actually came from uh, Greg, um, and this is actually the discussion that we had during our last show when uh, we had a listener, Robbie, looking for ways to break into the IT world. And, you know, again, we're not going to paraphrase any of that stuff. Go back to the show and, and listen to it. But uh, Greg wanted to add on, um, you know, again, in addition to not being afraid of breaking things, uh, it's also something about learning how to fix it. It's also important to learn from your own mistakes. Uh, he's been an essay for over 20 years, and he's messed up stuff really bad. But always fix it or know where to turn to get the answers on how to fix it. And I always admit that I screwed up. The boss appreciates the honesty and will respect you for it. And I can't underscore that section enough. That's absolutely true. You come clean and you don't try to cover it up like a, you know, a turd in a litter box. It goes a long ways. Uh, too many people won't admit they screwed up and they're afraid that they're going to get fired or not going to be trusted to do something in the future. But unless you've made it a habit of making the same mistakes over and over again, that's just not going to happen. And those are good words from Greg. Yeah, and, and, and I think as far as in my world, very timely world uh, words too. Um, literally, I had a coworker give me what he said, I could have swore he said, a testing account for a system that we have. And I was looking to migrate stuff, migrate stuff, blah, 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 blah. Well, last Thursday at 1247, I did something and I locked that account out. And I said, huh, that sucks. I'm gonna have to get it unlocked. And then literally like two minutes later, I just hear rumblings and panickings. And they're saying that this system's down statewide, the system's down statewide, uh, roughly 4,000 users uh, of it can't do anything. Um, the automated systems through our public facing entities also would not work. And then I hear somebody say the name of the account. And I said, that's the account I locked out. So I immediately called up the uh, security department. I said, look, unlock this account now. Just unlock it. I'll send you a request for just unlock the damn account. So they unlocked it. Half an hour later, a coworker came in. I told him, look, don't do this because you're going to lock the account. He said, I'm not that stupid. I'm not going to do that. Of course, three seconds later, he locked the same account. Um, the head boss of the head bosses came into the room and he was like, I've never seen this guy this angry in my life. Unbelievably nice guy, but he was so un oh, he was so irate. And then he walked out of the room, went back into his, you know, corner office. And I literally just closed my laptop. I stood up, walked in his office and I said, look, it was me. I'm the one that did it. And he said, what do you mean? And I, and I sat there and I explained the whole story to him. And then he said, well, is it going to happen again? I said, hell no, I'm not turning my laptop on now for like three days. It ain't going to happen again. Uh, and then he, and then I saw an email he sent to the actual executives and basically to the governor's office explaining what happened. And it would have been the perfect opportunity for him to throw me under the bus. And he didn't, he didn't at all. He was actually quite happy that he actually knew what happened. 
And you know what? Again, full disclosure is always so much better because right now, even at my work, we're having a big problem with communication. It's just not getting out there to anybody. Things happen, and we could have avoided so many headaches by just simply saying, this is what's happening on Tuesday. It's going to affect you, you, and you. None of that ever happens, and we keep repeating the same issues over and over. Um, I'm hoping that at some point someone actually decides to run a report and say, hey, this particular group has had so many of these tickets generated. Why is that, you know? But, again, uh, if I'm being particularly petty one day, I might just do that. Yeah, um, and, and, and I'll say this. I don't develop in, in a development environment. I never have, you know, I also don't develop as part of a team. I don't think I know how to, and that in 2020 doesn't make any sense. Everybody has dev testing, QA, all these other environments before they get to production. I just do stuff in production. Everyone is accustomed to working with other people, documenting code. I don't document nothing. Um, and that's not good is what I'll say. But I do know that every time I break something, I find out how to fix it right away. Um, and there's no better um, w way to learn than you have no choice, but you have to learn right now how to fix it or else it's not going to work. Um, um, it's dare I say, you know, it, it's like almost like a thrill seeker kind of mentality is what I say. I like doing this kind of stuff. In fact, tomorrow I got to get up at 8 a.m. and I got to make changes to two to two production servers in the DMZ and the executive asked me, do you think what you're doing is going to work? And I said, we'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> well, there's no better time than the present to find that out. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing I told him, I said, the biggest thing is, is we don't have to worry if it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, it, it isn't a bad thing. Now we know how to successfully not make this happen. But, and then we also now know what, what like not to try the next time when we want to do this again, this isn't a mission critical thing. It isn't like something's going to explode. It's not going to cost us tens of thousands of dollars. It's just, you know, we have till I think uh, August to make the change. And if we don't make the change by August, we're going to have to spend like $3,000 for a year, which is nothing. So I told him, I said, look, this is going to be a learning experience. Let's just take it as that. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, should we move on to the next? Oh yeah. All right. This one was from uh, George. And he says, hopes this finds you well, just started listening, and honestly didn't want my first email to be like this, but I find myself in a quandary. I'm going back to school at an early age of 50 and find myself in need of a laptop. Something small like an XPS or such. Need something I can use for classwork and running dual boot, as I will be taking Linux and cloud courses. Uh, doesn't need a hard drive and support as I have a 500 gig laying around. Anything you can help with would be greatly appreciated. Well, one of the things I would like to just throw in before you go too much farther is I personally, I don't mess with dual boot. I don't, I think that's a, just commit to one OS or another and then virtual box the other because, um, you know, I found out that over time uh, in the beginning, I tried to dual boot um, this is back with Windows 7 and Ubuntu. And over time, you're always going to run into problems because at some point, a Microsoft update is going to cap that Linux install at the knees. So go with one or the other, VM the other, and your life will be so much easier. Just make sure your RAM can handle it. Yeah, I'll tell you, the only way 
I am okay with dual booting. It's literally if you have two physical hard drives and then when you boot the computer up, you hit the magic key to select the boot device. Uh, and it's because of what Bruce said. Uh, I've never in my life seen a true dual boot on a single hard drive work for any real length of time. You might get lucky and it might work for maybe, you know, six to eight months, but I'll either have, you'll either have something come down and mess with the grub configuration and then, you know, your windows won't work right, which I've seen happen, or you literally have a windows thing come down and it's typically DRM related that will then change the boot sequence for it. And then the windows will stop working. Um, one of them will always fail. Um, the two ways I can see to do it on a laptop is literally you have your normal operating system installed on the hard drive like Windows, and then you boot to a uh, a good quality USB drive and run Linux off of that. Or on some laptops, you can take out the optical spinning disk and insert what's called a magic disk, magic bay, magic bay, and have two physical hard drives in it. Um, I'm going to communicate with George again. I, I told him, I said, look, I'm going to have to do an audit around the house because, you know, I'm a hoarder. Um, I'm going to be able to send him something, but it's definitely not going to be thin like an XPS because that's expensive and I don't buy expensive computers like we went over before. I would, if he could get by with a Chromebook, I have, I literally have one of them sitting around and it's super thin and light. Um, so I will say I'm going to try to hook him up with something. The bad thing is, is any laptop I have is not going to have a great battery and that's going to be one of the biggest downfalls. Um, to him so he's going to be able to use it but he's going to have to plug into walls and stuff and i'll say again anybody needs any help do not hesitate podcast at lunch for the rest of us.com mail at pods.com door-to-door geek at gmail.com um we are our community here we're here to help each um each other out uh so um you know um don't hesitate to email me and and george i will get back with you hopefully again tonight well, one of the things I also want to go back in regards to the VM, one of our uh, listeners online also uh, mentions about how it's great for restoring and recovering uh, an image. And I agree with that. One of the things that I purposely do is um, I set uh, clones of things I know I'm going to need, and it is a snap. And uh, yeah, good points. So um, yeah, and unfortunately, another listener had a problem with dual boot. And it destroyed his Windows partition with uh, Linux Mint. So I guess the uh, I guess we go both sides of the fence here. So anyway, uh, yeah, if you can avoid the dual boot, uh, you're doing yourself a favor. Unless, of course, you want to watch. Unless you like to watch the um, world catch on fire kind of thing. Um, and I'll say, if you do want to catch us live, don't hesitate. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I believe we also automatically post to Facebook. Uh, on our Discord server, we also post, and on our Mattermost server, we post, and we try to share it in IRC as well. We try to record around 9.30, uh New York time on uh, a Saturday night. Nice. Uh, so moving on to our next, we have uh, Mario, who said, uh, just wanted to say hello and let you know how much I enjoy listening to your podcast. I started using Ubuntu late last year and have been learning as much as I can about Linux. I'm a civil engineer by trade, but I'm currently taking online courses to land an entry-level system admin position. I truly appreciate all the information you guys talk about, and I mostly enjoy the tangents you go off on. So thank you again, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Mario, for sending that along. Very, very cool, Mario. And I will say this. If you are a Windows, going to be a windows system administrator the dirty secret is you actually have kind of the best of both worlds and what i mean by that is 
on Windows, you can load up what's called the PowerShell ISA, I believe it's called. And it's basically an interactive command prompt with the ability to look up and help autocomplete uh, even complex statements. But you could also literally load a Linux kernel and a bash terminal on a Windows server. So as a system administrator, you you literally in 2020 have a Swiss army knife of tools where, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to, let's say, access the C drive on a Windows computer, well, you could either hit start programs, Windows Explorer, you could click my computer on the desktop, you could hold down the Windows key and hit the letter key, you could right click the start button and say explore, there was all these different ways to do it. Well, now it's even more insane. Where if you know a task that you need to do, whether it is to automatically configure something, install something, update something, copy something, get something set up, you your choices on how to get it done are literally near in, in, infinite to where you can even load Python up and have scripts do almost anything that you want to do. Um, number one, Mario, I'd say practice, I hate to say it like this, practice your Google foo. How you search for things will expedite all your tasks. It's almost like Jeopardy. Instead of typing in what you're looking for, type in how you think someone else will show their solution to what you're looking for. Oh, and again, I second that with what Dor says. A majority of the stuff that I'd run into over the years is even a field technician when I was doing that, same thing. I Googled all the time. Uh, and I can't say enough about it. It's actually uh, really worth it. Uh, one other thing, too, just sort of picking up on a discussion we had roughly a couple of weeks ago in regards to search engines. You know, Google, of course, is the undivided king. They're, they're very good at what they do. I know that we have some freedom uh, folks who are concerned about that and have used DuckDuckGo, which is okay. And then there's uh, another one that's sort of come up across uh, that I've been using exclusively with my MX Linux install, and that's Quant. And they have been surprisingly good. I mean, everything that uh, I've looked for is in the realm. Sometimes with DuckDuckGo, you could ask for something and get these wildly different um, responses. So, again, yeah, I guess in order, I would go with Google first, Quant next, and then... It's a crapshoot after that. Well, I'll say I was using start page for the longest time and I'll like start page is still fine. Is what I would say. There's still literally nothing wrong with start page. They were technically, they had an investment from another company. People are panicking and worrying kind of like PIA private internet access. People are panicking and worrying what's going to happen. Oh my Lord, what's going to happen. Um, and start page still works great. Okay. It works fan diddly tastic. And one of the best things about start pages, if you do a search, Right next to it, you can say, basically, access this link using anonymous mode. And what happens is they literally pipe everything through their servers to where they're the proxy between the two. So the only information that site gets is from start page itself. Um, it's like it's like a baked-in private browsing without having to launch a different browser. Okay, But because of the things with start page, I always like doing research about, okay, now something bad happens, what am I going to use? And I also... Uh, started to use quant the only downside to quant is okay the devil's advocate is uh here are the browsers i literally use on a daily basis internet explorer 11 google chrome firefox the old microsoft edge the new microsoft edge with chromium vivaldi brave um 
oh man, there's at least one or two more. I can't remember. And Quant will the uh, uh, Chromium Chromium on, on ARM. Quant cannot be the default browser on at least um of default search engine on at least three or maybe four of those browsers, which is extremely upsetting is what I'll say. It makes it much more difficult to use it on every browser I use, but the ones where it does work, I'm really pleasantly surprised. It's obviously a newer search engine because it does fail once in a while. And luckily though, it fails softly where basically the search returns no results. And then you just click on the bottom, try again. That's the worst thing I've seen about the search engine. That's customizable. Uh, you can easily say, don't show me any like news stories. Don't show me any propaganda stuff. Just give me the search results. Uh, and I will say I'm ready to jump ship from start page if I have to. Fair enough. All right. And then we'll round out with the last one from uh, Luis. Uh, hello, Dor. Just wanted to reach out and let you know that I've really enjoyed listening to show 231 and reading the imposter uh, syndrome article really resonated with me. Been using Linux for a while since 2001, set up Samba servers, TAC servers, Nagio servers, etc. But never feel like I know enough to talk about it or contribute. But that doesn't stop me from listening to Linux for the rest of us. Really love the show. You and Bruce are doing an awesome job. Thanks, Luis. Well, uh, just a quick uh, comment in regards to that. You know, it's funny. For the, it took me years to get over that, and I'm not sure why. Because, you know, for a majority of folks that actually use Linux, um, you you can actually start some really good conversations that way. Um, and uh, I think the thing is, is that if you're going in in earnest, uh, I don't see it being a problem when you're asking questions to find out things. Um, and uh, quite frankly, there's too few of those people at work now. We got rid of a majority of our Unix administrators during the last uh, push to AWS. And so now I've got roughly three people from back in the stone age left that is three points of failure exactly yeah i mean um one of my core beliefs a is i'm not preaching to anyone what you should or shouldn't use i to be quite frank don't care what you use especially if you're a coworker of mine as long as you get stuff done i don't care um i will say i encourage everybody to at least have some fo some familiarity with all operating systems. Everyone you can get your hands on for any length of time, whether it's OS X, whether it's the iPad, whatever soft OS that is, whether it's a Unix-based operating system, a BSD-based operating system, whether it's, of course, Linux, any type of Linux, whether even it's a herd-based Linux, whether it's Windows, whether it's Windows Server, whether it's anything, because I truly believe the more you experience of other operating systems, the more you understand why you, the operating system you primarily use made the made the actual um actual um choices that it made in its decision tree kind of thing. Um, because there is no right and wrong. Some companies make decisions because it's right for the shareholders. Some people, some companies make the make their decisions because they believe it's the right thing to do for 20, 30 years worth of growth. Some companies do things because they really do believe it benefits the users. And you as a user 
have to make your own judgment call on what you prioritize and then find the company or the distributor or the compiler or whatever that does that best fits your personal personality. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing, you know, don't let other people persuade you to do something else unless you're truly comfortable with what you're doing, because, you know, people, companies get to where they are because they marketed to a certain area correctly. Uh, I absolutely hate Macs. I hate the proprietary nature of it, but I do know the OS. I have to because it's part of my job, no matter how disdainful I am of their practices in real life and all the e-waste they generate over their lifetime. When the day is done, if somebody has a problem with, you know, setting up file shares through Samba or, you know, connecting to wireless or something, I know how to do that on a Mac because it's part of the job. So, you know, again, as disdainful as it is for some places, you have to you have to take in the realistic aspect of it. Please remember the difference between a job and your own personal uh, view of things, because you do have to compromise somewhere in there. For those who don't, good for them. For those who don't expect to be miserable for the rest of your for the rest of your stinking life is what I'll say. Um, and I'll say it like this. Um, we um. Luis, we had a little bit of back and forth. And one of the things he was like, well, you know, how can I help? I want to help. Um, without sounding, oh, I mean, I hate, I really do hate now every time I say without sounding dumb, because every time I say that it sounds dumb, but here's the thing. He said, what can I do to help? I would like to help, you know, thank you for the shows kind of thing. Um, one encouragement helps an immeasurable amount. Um, uh, perception is reality. I often think that when I sit down to do a show, it's a very selfish thing because I get to sit here and chat with Bruce or I get to sit here and talk with Josh or Ivor or Rich or Brian or somebody else. And I think of it as a very selfish kind of thing. So when people say that they like the show, it reminds me that it, I don't do this really just for me. I do it for other people just for, you know, communication purposes. Um, Bruce also has asked, you know, how can I help? How can I help? And Bruce does plenty of encouragement on his own too. But I need, what I need help with is like basic organizational and workflow things. And what I used to classify it as in the old Unix days was the scatter gather technique where you would have um, um, generalized code that all it did was you would point at a thing and it would pull record sets back and populate things. And then when you were done with it, it would gather that all back up and put it back into the database, the scatter gather technique. I need ways to be able to organize things in an effortless way. So when it comes showtime and Bruce can say, Hey, how about doing emails? I don't have to panic and say, Oh my Lord, where are the emails? How many emails have we got kind of thing, but it's not just emails. That's the problem. It could be tweets. It could be DMS. It could be Voxer messages, discord messages, Mattermost messages. It could be comments on a YouTube video. I, I, I need some kind of ways to get a little bit better organized kind of thing. And then just send me emails once in a while, just saying hi kind of thing really does help. I'll say a great deal. Well, so I think we're having a second person doesn't hurt either because it allows me to actually address some of the live feed stuff that comes through because I think that's actually part of getting the show even to the next level. You know, we, one person can only do so much. Having a second one on there uh, helps. And then having a third, obviously, it just it just feeds on itself, you know. And I think, uh, quite frankly, uh, it's in a good place to be right now. And uh, 
I look forward to the continued growth of it. And we can actually go back to the point, which was the things for the upcoming year and the things we've seen in the past year. Yeah, yeah. Well, so one of the things that this past year, I don't know who could have seen it happen kind of thing, but in hindsight, it's it was bound to happen. And that was Red Hat, uh, a major acquisition, a major purchase involving Red Hat. I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought it was going to be Red Hat buying something else, but no, it turned out Old Blue, the company from literally the 30s and 40s, where if you went with them as a executive in like the 60s or 70s, you could do no wrong. IBM, International Business Machines, bought Red Hat for 34 or 36 billion dollars and i wasn't ready for that and quite frankly neither was i Uh, a small side note to that uh, i'm not sure if you saw the article earlier this week in regards to torvalds and um the file system zfs um what was interesting is that um the comment was essentially linux doesn't play well with zfs the real story is is that zfs is actually a uh, is a proprietary oracle file share and so at that point um let's be clear about this for and all the all of the garbage about these uh articles and clickbait stuff the short of it is that torvalds is not comfortable including it in linux support until he called him litigious larry signs off on it and i agree with that because if there's anybody who's because he's currently got a couple of other lawsuits going on uh against uh is it android i i I don't remember but he's got a lot going on with that and i agree with torvalds it's not torvalds being torvalds it's torvalds protecting what's rightly his yeah and like we in the linux world complain about how bad apple is and we're not wrong but if apple is like the kid on the bus who's beating up another kid oracle is the company that's literally molesting countries worth of children it is that horribly unethical immoral and just completely downright evil uh, to not have ZFS in Linux, to me, is just another indicator that Linux is doing the right thing, not for the shareholders, but for the community and for its own health. Keep Oracle as far away from everything Linux, and Linux is just better off for it, period. But here's the irony of it. CentOS's default install is ZFS. And... uh I guess I was taken surprised, but the only reason why I even knew that to begin with is uh, at one point when I had seven and I was trying to, uh, and I was eternally waiting for eight to come on, uh, I wanted to give uh, Mint a try, knowing at some point if I have a big problem with eight, I can fall back on Linux Mint for a while. And uh, it was funny because I ran into problems with uh, formatting because at that point it wouldn't allow me go- to go to ext4 unless I reformatted everything, and it's like, well, that was an unpleasant surprise. Yeah, that's definitely a little bit painful. Um, and I will say it makes sense to me that CentOS uh, or Red Hat would have that as, an, if not a primary thing, at least a, a like suggested thing because I'm sure it's a solid file system. Um, you know, uh, just like I'm sure I like VirtualBox, even though it's an Oracle thing. Um, they, I didn't say they don't make good stuff, but what they make has the possibility to pollute everything around it and corrupt everything around it. Um, 
uh, I often like to say that Linus says things just for dramatic purposes, uh, but his um, um, uh, how eloquent he is sometimes with just paraphrasing things short and uh, sweet and concise has really became really good here as of in like the last two or three years. And yes, litigious Larry is a perfect way to describe everything about that company. Um, I don't want, I don't want XFS or a, a ZFS right now in my Linux, just like I don't want pickle juice in my peanut butter. Fair enough. But I guess going back to the point in Red Hat uh, now being uh, an IBM company, uh, it's funny because one of the first things, I mean, you have two camps. Um, there's one where, well, we will we will abide by our new overlord and see where this goes. And then there's the other half where the sky is falling. And I mean, I think one of the things that these armchair quarterbacks have is the, the luxury of time because, you know, yeah, IBM is an old company. I think people forget how old that is. Uh, You're right to mention it in the 30s and 40s because the thing is, is that they're trying technology over time. They are also huge supporters of Linux for a time. Um, and then when it didn't service them, they, I don't know if I would necessarily say they dropped it because let's say they de-emphasized it. And now Red Hat brings them a certain comfort in, uh, I hate saying this, the cloud. So um, maybe it's a little too late in the game. I don't know. But all we can do is hope that um, Microsoft still ends up with uh, corrupted or hacked SharePoint servers as the latest one has gone. But I mean, you know, again, you have, you at least have another choice now. AWS, which is a ton of cash, uh, Microsoft and Azure, and they're not much cheaper, and IBM could be a good third choice. It all depends on your business model. Yeah, and then there's uh, the Google Cloud Compute, which I'm sure isn't cheap as well. Um, I would say I would say this. I really kind of like w- w- withhold personal judgment on IBM Red Hat because I really don't want to act like I'm there. I'm not at ground zero. I'm not even remotely close to ground zero, so I don't know. Um, one thing that I do know is IBM recently has proven to me that they're trying their best to remain relevant and to actually listen to other people instead of dictating. And and here's what I mean. I know two people that work at Red Hat. The two don't know that I know them kind of thing. You know what I mean? Let me rephrase that. They don't know. Um, one doesn't know that I know the other one. I'll just, put, I'll just put it like that. And at IBM, I know at least three or four people that work there and none of them know about each other that I know of kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I hear different perspectives from at least six people involved with the company. And here's the dirty, here's the real dirty truth about it. If you remember the matrix. Okay. Unfortunately, I believe I'm referencing the second matrix within some people's universe never existed, but in the second matrix movie, you had agent Smith shove his hand inside of other people's chest and then overtake their bodies and basically become a clone of himself. What seems to be happening is IBM is like ripping their shirt open and bearing their chest to Red Hat and Red Hat is shoving their hand inside of the chest of IBM and they're literally changing the genetics of how IBM is thinking and feeling and acting. Uh, in this past week, an article came up that 
both Red Hat people shot me in like the same 30 minute span. Uh, it was an article where Red Hat promised to, I believe it was completely liberate was the words they use. Uh, it was something like 120 patents. I, I believe the number was 120 because they said these patents will do more uh, better for everyone than versus us just holding on to them. Um, so I'm a firm believer that IBM and Red Hat have, even though I hate Java, I said it again, um, they have the possibility to impact more free Libre open source software than I think any other company has ever had the ability to impact. And I really do expect 2020 to 2021, the beginning of that, to be a legit banner year for, for that company. Well, I don't have too much more to add to that. I think you've said it eloquently enough. Um, I don't pretend to know either of Red Hat or IBM at this point because, uh, I mean, I've used Red Hat products, but, I mean, as far as that, you know, I'm not a business guy. I only sit on the sidelines and just watch the things happen as they fall. Well, and I'll say, like, another, like, prediction, and it's a very soft, fluffy kind of word prediction is what I'm going to say, because it really isn't. It, to me, it's just common sense. Um, we've had Raspberry Pi mini computers. We've had Nano Pi mini computers. We've had all different kinds of single board computers come out in the last couple of years. Um, what I believe is going to happen uh, in the next year or two is we're going to see much, much more of mini computers in air quotes coming out that are wrapped by plastic that are more appliance, that are more single-use kind of things where no one really needs to know that it's a computer inside. They just need to know the damn thing works. Um, and I think the expandability, custom, customizable nature of Linux are going to give us an insane amount of small form factor dedicated devices that can do a couple tasks really nicely and neatly, um, a.k.a. the amount of computing in our life is going to dramatically increase, I think, in the next two to three years. But because of the ARM processor, I also see our battery usage going down, our power consumption going down, our heat going down. Thus, dare I say, really, true, truthfully, becoming more green while still using more computing power, which some people think is a complete oxymoron. Well, I just wanted to take a step back. Can you imagine if IBM decided that this is the kind of thing they want to jump on and have American-made IBM machines again? Oh, trust me, it could happen. It definitely could happen. Uh, in the last, um, Asus Tinkerboard is a Raspberry Pi-type computer that Asus put out. Lenovo announced last year, not last year, uh, last month, that they're going to put on their own single-board computer coming out. Um, Google has a TPU, they call it a Tensor Processing Unit which is their like machine learning kind of thing, which is literally a USB sized computer kind of thing. Um, there's no doubt there's plenty of space. There's is unbelievable girths. There's acres and acres of space for another company to step in with their own dedicated small form facts computer to fill a need. And the biggest need I think that needs filling is what some technologists are calling edge computers. Um, the best way to describe edge computers is just literally distributed nodes of computational power. And what I mean by that is hypothetically you're at work and you need to do something on a computer. Well, instead of taxing your computer to 99% for 10 minutes to do this one task, you can literally just ubiquitously with one click 
um, uh, call out, get X number of small computers that are surrounding you to option into your workload to where you hit the task instead of it taxing your processor for 10 minutes at 99%, it gets distributed and it takes three minutes and your processor never goes above 5%. Um, edge computing is literally going to, I think, change how processing is done where we're not going to have to worry about multi-threaded compiling versus single threaded compiling because it's all going to be distributed over a network, which is almost completely different. Um, I do think those kind of form factors in computers are going to seriously take off this year, not, but not going to reach their full potential for probably another two years. And I love that idea. I love the concept of it because one of the things I'd been thinking about is that, you know, the company that I'm working at, you know, you have roughly, uh, let's just say on campus is about 15,000 machines. Now out of those 15,000 machines, I would say that roughly, 5%, we're talking 5%, not even 5,000 machines, really max out their CPU on a daily basis. I would say the majority of the people on campus, at the very minimum, expend their, their CPU on maybe Excel spreadsheets that aren't running something, or maybe YouTube videos are running a little long. I don't know, but we don't utilize that kind of computing power. In fact, you know how they say we use about roughly 10% of our brain. I suspect that's probably true for a lot of the hardware that we have. You know, we we're not even scratching the surface of what it's able to do. And if we could just harness that power and make it a lot more efficient, you know, costs would go down. I lo like I said, I love the concept around edge computing because that just makes so much sense on every level because, you know, the environmental impact alone is worth the cost. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and this is the kind of thing I really don't have to say to you, Bruce, but you, cause you were there, you, you can pull your shirt up and turn around and we'll see it filled with scars of computing past. But like back in the day, we would record a show of Linux basics and it was a two hour show and it would literally take two hours to transcode the damn thing to another format where now on a four-year-old computer it takes like you know a minute and a half like three minutes um here's what i kind of foresee happening you know how everybody is pushing the idea of the smart fridge the smart toaster the smart microwave the smart doorbell the smart washing machine all these smart devices which are uncommonly stupid what i perceive happening is and I hope there's a standard set up, not by a company, but by a like industry kind of thing to where you can buy smart washers, smart dryers, smart fridges that do one thing really poorly, but you can then join those computers to your local hive of computing power to where when you need to do things, you can literally off task it to them. Um, and then at work, same kind of thing can happen. Um, and here's the dumb thing, Bruce. Imagine... Oh man. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really mad. I can't remember the kid's name now, but the kid who committed suicide in the invention, who's the kid who invented RSS, who was stealing quote unquote, stealing data from churches. Uh, just, just imagine if we have one kid that intelligent, who's able to code, you know, these kinds of hive type computers, imagine what could be done with those 5% of computers on your campus in just one night imagine the kind of discoveries that can be made in science in health in planetary 
uh, exploration in genetic evolving in protein folding in all kinds of things. You know, I'm not trying to sound like John Lennon kind of thing, but just imagine the possibilities that could happen. Oh, absolutely. All our problems would be solved, you know, and there would, we'd have to find something else to talk about. Yeah. His name was Schwartz. I want to say Adam Schwartz, Alan Schwartz. Uh, I, I had the last name, but I don't remember the first, you know, it's funny because the, uh, um, the district attorney who tried him here in Boston, um, is essentially unemployable these days because of it. You know, it was one of those where I was just following orders that didn't wash well with hardly anyone in the community. So, yeah, so the, there's, a, there's a fun fact for you. Yeah, the uh, documentary is called The Internet's Own Boy, The Story of Aaron Schwartz. And it is on my Plex server. Where If you want access to my Plex server, just go create a Plex account. I'll give you the uh, access to my library where you can watch amazing quality movies like the internet's own boy idiocracy the last starfighter goonies you know all, all kinds of stuff um aaron schwartz here's here's the real sad truth of it um if people would have made the right choices the right decisions about him um i hate to say it but i really do believe in 20 or 30 years from now he could have he was so influential he was he was so damn charismatic he was so damn smart um somebody like him could have went literally to a higher political office and actually positively affected civilization i mean i don't want to be too over dramatic about this but the kid had so many things completely figured out by like the age of eight to where what was right and why it's right and how to do the right thing based upon humanity. Um, one of my old um, musicians I'll say I listened to back in the eighties uh, was uh, African-American descent from South Bronx. And like one of the things he always stated was I'm not here for black people. Okay. I'm here first and foremost for humanity. And then secondarily, I'm here for the upliftment of African people. And I'm like, it's such a pleasant change to hear somebody put humanity first and not some sort of group that they identify with kind of thing. Um, and Aaron Schwartz to me was the same kind of mentality. Oh, without a doubt. I think it's, it's awful because his crime in the end was sharing, you know, yeah. and interestingly enough on that, um, there was actually a Harvard law student who essentially took the same thing that he did and she did it with a, uh, a publication uh, that they have at the law school, and she started sharing out things just like he, he did. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to it, but it got pushed under the covers fast enough. But there was no prosecution, none of the kind of witch hunt they did with uh, Schwartz. So uh, I'm not sure what ultimately happened. This is a good research for next show. Very cool, very cool. And and yeah, and to me, it's is again her um her perspective uh, is reality to me he wasn't even sharing um to me it was things that were paid for by taxpayers that he was relinquishing back to the taxpayer is really what he was doing um what he was doing by the spirit of the law i think was absolutely appropriate and completely innocent but while the letter of the law what he was doing was completely illegal kind of thing um 
I have to believe if that case that he was involved with would have went in front of a judge that had any understanding or sympathy at all to the data itself, which I know I shouldn't anthropomorphize data, but if he would have felt sympathy about the data itself, he would have like instantly just called the lawsuit garbage and just completely dropped the court case itself. And that's actually the biggest crime of it all because we'll never know. Uh, it may take another person to sacrifice themselves in the same cause. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know if this current generation has that kind of uh, of push, but I don't know. I mean, there there's a lot of uh, a lot of younger kids out there who have a good sense of direction. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, and like I'm a firm believer, like um, rising tide raises all boats. Uh, the example I also use is hypothetically, if tomorrow higher education in the United States of America is free for everyone, we have to understand there is a certain percentage of people that will never take advantage of that. And that's fine. Um, this is where the um, uh, perspective is reality again, thing comes back again. I'm sorry for saying that so many times that, that this episode, but the Disney movie, the, in the, in, um, in, um, in, um, Credibles had one of the best bad guys ever. And one of his lines he said was, Once everyone is super, then nobody is. And I've heard people say, If everybody in the United States of America has a college degree, then a college degree becomes completely worthless. And while I understand why they say that and how they say that, the complete thing that they're missing is if we have a population in the United States that have just higher education in general, it literally raises all boats up. Uh, same kind of thing I feel about free Libra open source software. The best thing about open source software is it's out there for everyone to use and everybody to contribute to, thus everything gets better. If we didn't have this free Libra open source software competing, literally competing, in some cases destroying closed source proprietary operating systems. There's no doubt in my mind, the closed source proprietary operating systems would not have made one fiftieth the progress that they have made in the last 20 years, because in my opinion, in some cases they've had no choice but to get better. And I've also believed that it's also the great equalizer too, because, uh, because of the cost, which is free uh, places like third world countries where, you know, we, we haven't even tapped the potential in some of those places. And now you've got people that have the ability to actually try things from a completely different perspective. They don't have the, the noise pollution that a lot of us have around here, whether it's TV, radio, <laughs> the Internet, you know, things like that. So it, it will be interesting because I still think there's lots of room for innovation. Um, 3D printing has, has made a huge, huge contribution. I mean, we're 3D printing houses now. And I'm 3D printing a beard comb. Because, you know, we all have to do our part. Um, I love I love 3D printing. I love the idea of 3D printing. To me, it's a novelty kind of thing. But the things that are actually happening in the real world with these kinds of innovations literally change everything. Um, another core belief I have is if you generate enough imaginary monkeys and put them in a room, one of them will sooner or later type something great and grand from like Shakespeare. Okay. There's a law there, and it's the law of large numbers, and it's one of those 
uh, biases that is actual truth. If we just have more people with access to computing, to a keyboard, to a programming language, to a compiler, to a network, to a file stack, to a data set, to other people, they will invent great and grand things that smaller populations of people would take eons to even approach to figure out. Um, which is why I love, to be honest, ARM computers and free Libra software. And that's why I love Debian. Okay. Yes, Fedora, OpenSUSE, these other distributions have their own stuff that runs on some ARM computers. Yeah, some, yes. But Debian is the one that is A, not corporate controlled. And that is very important. Number two, you cannot supply any code to Debian and have it accepted if it does not compile on every architecture that Debian supports. And I want to say it's around 60 different processors, but I could be mistaken. So that kind of stability and ubiquity among architecture is something that no other distribution can even begin to approach. And with these other smaller form factor license-free processors like non-Intel processors, they're going to enable the third world ecosystems to much closer approach first world type access. And, and literally a guy on another show we do once in a while goes to Myanmar and helps build schools and leaves schools with Raspberry Pi computers in them to help educate the locals kind of thing. Um, we are going to have so many people come out of poverty in the next 20 years. It's going to literally be insane. And the amount of change that we're going to see in computers and interfaces in computers, I think is going to be um, something that nobody will be able to even estimate on how dramatic it's going to be. And that's the most exciting potential about technology. You know, even when you're looking at how, you know, Linux is the great equalizer in terms of OSs. You know, 3D printing is is a great tool for third world countries. I mean, you know, you look at it, you can get a printer to print in just about any kind of format. You know, cement for housing, you know, metal for cogs or any other yes anything like that you know when you think about it if you're in africa and you know the truck that you're driving breaks something you can go into a 3d printer print out a temporary fix uh for that until the actual piece comes in i mean that's such a game changer by itself you know the food same thing you know uh, you've got those kids over at mit who created what's called um soylent of all things uh it's a meal replacement it's not meant to be the only source of food but they've shown that you can survive for 30 days on it without any ill effects one way or the other to your health until food finally arrives and you know just those three items there are such world changers you know and can you imagine somebody whose life was saved by that taking that on and then figuring out ways to even improve on what's there you know like i said that potential is limitless absolutely agree and like uh really quick 3d printer uh i'm sorry for the audio listeners but you know it is what it is um i one of the things i showed to bruce is a dough dodecaron oh man i can't remember what it's called basically it is a very fancy three-dimensional sphere with triangles dodecahedron um that i 3d printed um i i am a like math kind of guy so when i see something that really like stimulates 
um, the possible like numbers part of 3D printing, uh, or when it's just something that gives a visual wow factor. Um, I just love 3D printing these kinds of things. And this isn't even functional. There are people out there who literally design tools that cannot be replicated in normal ways. They can only be replicated 3D printing. And they're literally emergency tools that somebody can use. Literally, it's like Harbor Freight. After two or three uses, they will fail. But in times of need, they can literally save people's lives. Oh, absolutely. And that vase looks like something that would show up on Etsy. I, 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 that one vase pattern, I think is the most dramatically beautiful vase pattern, but it depends on the filament that you use, uh, to the effect. And what that is, it's a Zealtech, uh, metallic silver filament it has just such a sheen and shine to it. It's, it's perfect. Nice. Nice. Now all we have to do is figure a way for AI to start figuring out some of these, uh, games that they're handicapping, <laughs> handicapping for this weekend's NFL matchup. Well, and like, it's here's the thing as far as innovation is concerned um i mean this, this is the kind of thing bruce i don't know who even three years ago would have known that we would launch ten thousand plus mini satellites in less than i want to say it was four months that are literally less than i want to say it was 30 millimeters by 30 millimeters by 30 like cube sats little tiny cube sats um because the computational power has became so dramatically faster than what we're able to like code towards kind of thing. Um, I don't know what kind of things literally are going to be game changers kind of thing, except for, uh, dare I say, the old Nintendo philosophy is we already have enough computing power. We already have uh, Rust. We already have Go. We already have Python. We already have JavaScript. We already have all these things that are really powerful, can do lots of things. We have these pieces of hardware that are really powerful and can do a lot of things. I think we just need people to take the ideas and figure out how to code them right. And this is going to be, I think, the year of services and applications that are really going to be doing a lot of dramatic things is what I'll say. And one other side note is, and we talked about it last last time, Maybe Google will finally figure out what's uh, causing their issues around Stadia because that I'm actually curious. Once that breaks through, will that be a big, big uh, turnaround for online gaming? Well, I'm going to say yes, uh, because it has no choice. Uh, the amount of money that's being made by games is insane. It eclipses all forms of entertainment. Nothing is even close. Games are where the money's at. Um, nothing that is involving with gaming. I got to say this slow. Nothing that has been involved with gaming for the last three years that has launched has been uh, what they call a, a hot launch. They've all been warm launches. Everything that's been launched has not been done. It's not been ready. It's like everybody's been Googleifying stuff. When the Nintendo Switch came out, which was basically the last console that came out, on launch day, stuff just there was stuff that just didn't work and they knew it wasn't going to work and they said we got to launch it anyway we got to get it into people's hands it's going to take months for us to get these things done it took them over a year to get their online stuff even started it took another year to get their online stuff actually working and it's still not done i mean it it some of their online stuff sucks horrible yet they've been the number one selling console now for over 2 years okay with Google Stadia, they launched it, I personally believe, knowing it needs work, it needs upkeep, it needs stuff, but they also need 
network speeds to speed up. They need backbone things to be upgraded. They need these other things to fall into place. But I truly believe before the end of 2020, there's going to be such a huge majority of people where Stadia just works. And the example I'm going to use, I'm stealing from the guy's name is Bill from the podcast, RJS, Run, Jump, Stop, who, who also does a Stadia podcast. I'm going to steal this from him because he's right. When Netflix first came out, you and me both remember people who said they could not use Netflix because they did, they did not have enough bandwidth coming into their house to use it. And you, when you went over to their house and they tried to use it, you would literally see it buffer for three minutes, play 30 seconds worth of Netflix, and then buffer for three, three more minutes. And we all said, this sucks. This is stupid. Look at Netflix now. That's how I think Stadia is going to be. It might take three years, but I firmly believe when they hit their stride, every other game console company is literally going to be shaking in their boots and drastically doing everything they can to change and keep up. And if that happens, I may actually finally become a video game player. I don't know what's preventing me from doing it at this point. I mean, uh, I enjoy it every once in a while, but... You know, nothing has really grabbed me to the point where, I mean, it's like some of my younger coworkers. I mean, they live and breathe on their machines once they get home. Um, I haven't committed to that yet. Well, I'll say the good thing about games is it's just like it's just like IT job titles, Bruce, and you know this. Every year, there's a splintering and a fracturing of job titles that didn't exist. I keep telling people who come into the business, look, in three years, you're going to be doing a job that doesn't even exist yet because that's just how it is. Um, same thing with games. The types and styles of games are exploding to where, quite literally, a game that if it launched similar back in 1986, nobody would have even heard about or bought because the market was too small. But now with over, I think it was like almost 60% of the world having games available, to, uh, digital games available to them. So there's enough people for those niche games to actually be popular and make money. Uh, when it becomes ubiquitous and you can literally on any screen, whether it's a desktop, a laptop, a phone, a tablet, a television, or anything else, you can seamlessly pick up a controller and play lowering that barrier of entry will make it much easier for anybody to play. Um, what I will say also about the game scene uh, in this time frame is um, there are literally games out there that are good for uh, mental health is the way I'm going to put it. Um, instead of just being the black dot chasing the red dot kind of thing, or you, uh, a game involving, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, there are literally games that can help with people's mental health, but also, I do believe we're almost on the precipice of games becoming learning instruments because um, there's there's no better um, like drive and determination than someone having fun. And if they can figure out how someone can have fun in a video game, but yet learn something, whether it's literally something as bland and dry as history or how chemistry works and kind of thing via a game, I think it's going to help everybody just become a little bit smarter. Actually, speaking to that point, there was actually a segment on National Geographic's uh, not too long ago in how the military gets their um, uh, soldiers basically to learn radar and satellite imagery in under 30 minutes. It, it involves 
uh, electrical stimulus to the brain behind the ear. And what's shocking about the um, this procedure is that they're showing them videos while uh, the, um, the electric current is running through. And within 30 minutes, they will have learned what what a truck looks like from satellite space, what a hidden bunker looks like. And the most amazing part about this, it's permanent. They will never forget it. And so I can't imagine what that was like if, you know, can you imagine applying that to here? I'm going to learn a language in 30 minutes and never forget it. You know, that's that's the stuff that excites me the most. Yeah. And like, I hate saying it like this, but Department of Defense, DARPA, video games and porn drive a lot of technology. Um, if there's money to be made, eyeballs to be captured, or budgets to be increased by some advancement, why, by George, those people will figure out how to do that dramatically well. Um, and, and here's the other like example I'll use. Literally, a couple days ago, uh, a paraplegic, okay, I'm saying this slow for dramatic sake, a paraplegic, okay, set a world record in a marathon using an exoskeleton suit using literally mech type stuff he's able to get into a device and run a marathon even though he's literally running a marathon even though he's a paraplegic that's phenomenal wow we may actually be to the point now where we're also on the verge of discovering ways to get rid of paralysis yeah and like and and it's weird um all these scientific things come from either NASA, DOD, or something else. But just because they for, are the first ones to figure these kind of things out, it's other people in other industries who understand how to then utilize that for other people's needs. Um, complete tangent again. Here's my other uh, pr proposed thing that will happen in 2020. Okay. We have the Pine Book Pro. That literally just came out. We have the Pine Time development watch that is already out. You have the Pine phone that literally just started to ship last week. And then you have um, uh, the Pine tablet, which is going to be coming out shortly. These are all ARM-based devices running Linux. I say before the end of 2020, we're going to have at least two other companies offering you laptops. We're going to have at least two other companies offering you either phones or watches or tablet kind of devices. Um, by the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I think that market is going to expand by eightfold, where we're going to have almost by the end of 2021, eight different companies to 20 different companies offering you ARM-based Linux solutions. And nothing could make me happier than that kind of ecosystem ever, ever expanding. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll post that up on uh, Facebook and we will revisit that in a year from now because I'm always kind of curious about these things. I don't know enough about the hardware future or the Android space to make these kind of predictions. So I'm going with your word, Dora. We'll both go down the <laughs> we'll both go down with the ship. Well, I, and I'll say this, I had the host of Android App Addicts, who's new to that show, less than, I think, three months into that show. He went back to last year's prediction about 2019, and I'm going to tell you right now, I was shocked about how accurate I was. I said Microsoft will come out with an Android phone. They announced it. They said it's coming out before the end of 2020. Um, I said 
Um, man, I'm trying to remember now. Almost, I'll say this: eighty percent of the predictions I made were completely spot on. And I honestly feel, when it comes to Linux, um, it's easy to see what's going to happen. Um, the old adage with Microsoft is "extend, embrace, extinguish." With Linux, the adage is "extend and embrace." And then extend some more and embrace some more. And that's what Linux has literally done now for 20 years is just continuously extending and embracing lovingly, not suffocatingly, but lovingly. And I think it's just going to keep continuing where it's going to keep making strides. Now, here's the crazy prediction. By the end of 2020, I will say Microsoft will announce a future date of the actual opening and replacing of the Microsoft Windows kernel with something open source. Actually, I might even go a little step further than that. Uh, I think they're also on the verge of um, uh, not kind of what we were talking about before, where they want to take the uh, the hardware out of people's hands and make it a subscription service because just about everything they have right now is subscription service. So I'd be very curious to see if that actually comes to fruition in the upcoming year. Oh yeah. Every, every single company on the planet earth. And honestly, I hate to say it. The ones that first I think were awoken by this was ISPs and cell phone companies. And the, an example I give is for years, we kept seeing them completely forsaken current customers and offer new customers these breaks and discounts that no current customer could get. And what it said to the shareholders, to the stockholders, to the white men in suits sitting around the table was future money is more rewarding to investors than current money. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what, how much money you have in the bank right now, how much money do you have like guaranteeing coming in next month, next six months, next two years kind of things. And, and honestly, this is the only reason why I think Microsoft is successful in the last two years is with Azure, you don't buy anything. You literally lease, you rent stuff ahead of time. And it's always uh, the inverse. You don't use something. And then at the end of the month, you pay it. It's the opposite. You pay for something to use it for this month. So they're even getting their money 30 days ahead of time. Um, if there is anything that can be turned into a subscription service, 2020 is the year it will be turned into a subscription service. They are literally advertising toothbrushes with replaceable heads as a monthly subscription service where they will every whatever weeks send you a new toothbrush head as long as you promise to pay for like two years ahead of time kind of thing. What I mean, where's the toilet paper? We use toilet paper. Where's that as a subscription service? Any day now, we're going to be pushed that by some marketing firm. You know, that's actually a good point. I'd completely, I'd actually almost forgotten about the toothbrush one. That's actually, uh, that's outstanding. Good for them for thinking about that. But um, uh, there was actually something that was going along the lines of the subscription service. But um, I guess I'm going to have to remember it at a different time. Uh, these senior moments get to you. Well, and I'll say the one thing that I think is like no one could have foreseen 20, 30, 50, 60 years ago, um, the amount of time spent in every day expanding money, getting rid of money, disposing of money, using money uh, is now close to, I want to say, 14 hours a day. We are doing something that costs money, whether it's watching TV, watching Netflix, driving a car, whatever. We're back in the day 
even 1940s and 1950s, it was only like three hours a day. You were doing something that actually cost you money. Part of the reason was to buy a loaf of bread. The, the, for instance, to buy a loaf of bread back in the forties took like three hours worth of work in 2020. The average American to buy a loaf of bread is literally less than six minutes worth of work. Um, so we have much more money available for us to spend and companies are doing everything in their power to suck every penny up immediately. Oh, now going back. Now I remember what I was going after in the subscription service. You're absolutely right. When you made the statement of, uh, investors are not interested in the money that you have now. It's the money that you'll be taking in. And it's funny because one of the things I think a lot of, uh, analysts miss is on the subscription service, like for instance, HBO. Uh, I remember their initial uh, release to the general public and uh, it generated $50 million in sales in the first month alone. And analysts actually downplayed it saying, oh, well, this is unsustainable. It's like, no, no, it's not. Because the, th the thing is, is because that was only a small segment that had access to a fast internet that could do it. These ISPs grow by the day, and more and more uh, people get exposed to the fact that this is just $10 a month. So I, if anything, I expect this to expand significantly. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there, uh, if there's one place that really needs to start adjusting their way of thinking, it's Wall Street and their approach to technology because it is still 10 to 20 years behind. Yeah. And I don't know if they're going to do it. I don't know if this is the year they're going to do it, but it is the kind of thing. The only thing that's going to make them change is they have to change. And so far they've still been successful enough relying on the old schemes because that's what it really is. It's schemes and schemas on how to basically grow money out of nothing, out of promises, out of blanket promises kind of thing. Um, I do also think that, um, the the worst thing to happen in 2020 uh is the kind of thing that could cause the best kinds of things in 2020 i think the amount of um data as what, as what we lennox people think of as completely immoral data lapses and completely immoral breaches of privacy um i hope make more um buzz catch actual news cycles um and actually have journalists dive into how it happens, why it happens, who it's affecting, and then what can we as consumers do about it to better protect ourselves? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to take something horrible, like in the public eye, for people to start to actually care about relinquishing some of that control back and actually having privacy as an actual feature and not just some bystanding product. Well, I don't think anybody in America above the age of... Uh... Uh, 20 has privacy anymore. I mean, at this point, given all the data breaches we've had in the last three years, including some we're not even aware of, um, there's the uh, Boston Security Summit that I went to a couple weeks back, and there was a uh, car, credit card clearinghouse that lost uh, 300 million uh, people's data. Now, how does that happen? Um, well, I'll say human error is... Anything that can be complicatedly explained using a conspiracy theory is often completely debunked with just simple human incompetence. 
um uh we don't need stories about evil china doing this or bad russia doing that when it's when we have some idiot working in some department with the password of q w e r t one two three four five kind of thing um that's all it takes for everything to just be thrown completely out the window and with everything being connected to everything um these kind of breaches are just uh they're literally becoming like child's games actually you know what i have one prediction i will make for the upcoming year i think that we are in the final stages of antivirus software i think we are at the point now where google and their chromebook has it right and if the other machines like you know uh, any of the other laptop or any other who makes computers figure a way to also get the os to the point where uh it prevents anything from writing to the actual os I think that's game over for these folks like Norton, Kaspersky, anybody that you can think of at this point because, you know, I stopped paying for antivirus years ago and I don't even use it today. So, uh, you know, ESET is the one I use at work and that's only because it's forced down. So uh, I'll be very curious. We'll see where that ends up. Well, and I'll make a similar type of prediction where I do think that's a good prediction, Bruce. I, and I hope you're right. Um my prediction is I really do hope 2020 is the beginning of the end of anybody using old school login and passwords. Um, there's no reason why we still have to use these archaic barbaric systems that are tied, not tied, not tied in the right word, uh, held down to chain to like a rock falling to the bottom of the ocean connected to email addresses, something else like from this 60s kind of thing. We need to get past usernames. We need to get past passwords. We need to get past them being locked email addresses. Um, uh, Steve Gibson has finalized his Squirrel SQL uh, secure, quick, reliable login Squirrel um, that is completely passwordless. Uh, everything that's on the server is completely useless. So if you have an account hypothetically on podnuts.com and you use squirrel and podnuts is breached and all of the data, everything is copied off. Your account is still 100 completely safe and there's nothing that can be gathered from that data that could be any use to anybody about you as a user. Um, I think it's only a matter of time and I think it's going to happen slowly and surely it's going to take people like WordPress. It's going to take, honestly, I hate to say it, people like Microsoft to start to begin this passwordless kind of system. But I think once it happens, it's literally going to take off like wildfire. And in less than six to eight months after that, only archaic systems will use it. And I really hope this is the year. Yeah, I second that. But who will care for the Active Directory kids? Well, and, and and just a really quick tangent, Bruce. If you've not heard the podcast Darknet Diaries, I'll try to make sure the links in the note. Unbelievably quality podcast because of the host and the research the host does is almost Dan Carlin like. And if that means nothing to you, I'm sorry. Um, but Darknet Diaries, one of the things that they just did was they actually showed how on every Windows computer, okay. Every single Windows computer running today, when you log in, your password is literally stored in clear text in RAM, and there's nothing you as a user can do about it. So if you 
use your Windows password any place else, you are in you are potentially in for a hellaciously bad time. Um, we need to, you know, make sure things are containerized. If you have a Windows password, only use it on that one system. Don't use that same password as your administrator password on anything else. Because um, these breaches that are going to happen are going to be so hyper-focused, so um, 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 like a um, targeted uh, fished attack kind of thing, where they're going to be able to hit your computer, access that RAM, get that password, shoot it back to home base, and instantly try it on 30,000 different sites and services and things. And if you reuse that password anywhere and your business, industry, whatever is hit, you are going to be in for a very, very painful day. Wow, that is, I did not know that. Ah, I wonder if our security guys know that. I'm probably guessing no is the answer. No, none of them. None of them do because in truth, oh man, okay, look, I like security guys. I really do. But truth be told, 99.999% of the security guys really know nothing about security. They understand how to properly click an end map scan or thing and they understand how to properly generate a 120 page document to give somebody about a pen test but when it comes to actual doing their own sleuthiness on an operating system and actually understanding how things work maybe one percent do um and the darknet diaries die um when he said it Here's the dirty, really dirty secret. When he said to do it, you know, all you got to do is go to this GitHub page and download it. You go to this download page on GitHub and you go to download it. Every single antivirus thing and every single Windows Defender thing and Windows itself will classify the it as unwanted wear and it will not let you download it and run it. So what you have to do is you have to go download this other tool, okay? And then when you download this other tool, you point it at the GitHub page to download all the code. And what it does is in the process of downloading it, it simply changes the names of the files, thus changing the hashes on the files, thus rendering every single piece of AV software built into Windows completely inept in stopping it. And then you simply execute the command and you'll see it will go into RAM and it will pull out the password right there in clear text. I've had three friends do it now and they both, they all are like shocked. Uh, so go check out Darknet Diaries if you want to be completely disappointed in the Windows security model. <laughs> disappointed. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if we actually have any more predictions, but I will say this. If you, the listener, have any predictions, do not hesitate. Uh, podcast at linuxfortherestofus.com if you want to send it in. Uh, I want to give a big thanks to Luis, uh, George, Mario, and uh, Gregory. And Gregory, stuff is finally starting to slow down a little bit. Uh, I will be contacting you here in the next couple of weeks where we can go have a uh, maybe some drinks and some wings because, uh, you know, I, I, I like drinks and wings. I think we all do. <laughs> I'll be right down. Yeah, and, th and there's this place right, literally right by my house. Uh, where I went the other night and I got, uh, some wings for me and, uh, these other guys. And I just sit there and thought to myself, I'm not listening to what any of you guys are saying. Cause these wings are so damn good. Um, I love good Buffalo wings because it's so easy to mess up and not have them good. Well, I'll make one quick shout out to, uh, the folks who run coast cafe in Cambridge, mass. If you want some of the best soul food you've ever had, that is the place to go. Best part about it, they're only open four days a week, but 
catching them on one of the four days a week is the best thing you could do. Very cool. Yeah, I haven't had good soul food now like four years. Um, And I will say just to everyone, I'm going to apologize and say I'm really sorry if uh, all of the ad breaks during this episode is like hurt you or upset you. Um, But don't forget, if you really do crave, if you desire a completely ad-free version of this show, you can simply go to patreon.com slash podnuts and you can have completely ad-free episodes where we do everything in our power to strip out all the ads uh, and all the bumpers and everything to where you don't have to put up with that. Okay. uh, And I'll say also do not forget, click the link in the show to see the notes. Um, It has all the contact information and all the things we talk about on every show. This was an extremely link light version of the show because it was mostly off the cuff. But if you want to contact us, it's super easy. Uh, podcast at Linux for the rest of us.com, or you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 7076podnut.com, or you can simply just record something on your Android or iOS device or on your desktop computer and just send it in as an email kind of thing. Um, we are on YouTube. I believe the channel link is in the notes. Uh, the only thing on this channel is the Linux for the rest of us videos I did now six or seven years ago. If you want to you know, see a piece of history and, and this show gets posted that YouTube channel. So if you want to quote the mental invalids who dye their hair and play stupid games and are extremely overdramatic, if you go to YouTube and click subscribe and click that bell, then you'll be notified when we go live, you know, or you can just, you know, contact me directly and, and I'll tell you the same thing. Um, I want to thank everyone for coming out. Bruce, do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom? Yes, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Titans hand their heads to uh, the Chiefs this weekend. We'll see. I'll, uh, and look, me and Bruce didn't do a show last week. Um, Bruce wanted to watch uh, the Baltimore Ravens uh, game and how that was going to unfold. Uh, my wife and her family wanted me to be the designated driver, which just shows I hide my alcoholism really good. Um, and we sat down and watched that game. And I'll just say it like this. The Tennessee Titans deserve all the credit in the world because the Ravens team set records all year. Okay. The quarterback talent, just pure talent, literally set records in that game. But the, but the Tennessee Titans kept them out of the end zone. I don't care if you run as a quarterback for over a hundred yards. I don't care if you pass for more than 300 yards. I don't care if you don't throw like three interceptions in the game. I don't care if you don't fumble the football four times, but if you keep them out of the end zone, you will win. The old adage is, and I want to say it's something like uh, 20 out of the, on average, 20 out of 21 Super Bowls are won by the team with a better defense. Defense wins championships. Offense wins highlights. And I don't know about you, I'd much rather have championships. Well, the best part about it is that uh, the Ravens were actually built to beat the Patriots. The problem is, is the Patriots didn't make the dance this year. Yeah, the uh, coach, uh, the brother coach from Baltimore Ravens said, this team was explicitly designed to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Patriots. And yeah, so, I'm, you know, that's like shooting for the target, but it turns out you're aiming for the wrong target. Oh, man, I'll say this very cool. And I will thank Tracy Holtz for downloading and listening and sending in his like pro, quote unquote private feedback to us. Um, again, if uh, you need a, a, anybody out there, because again, we're still in January. 
Uh, I've had now two people in the last uh, couple of days ping me about con- complete devastations happening in their family. Um, uh, I- I'm here not just for my wife and my kids, you know, 14 hours a day kind of thing when they're awake. Um, but I'm also here for Bruce. I'm here for Tracy Holtz. I'm here for everybody who, who listens to the show. Uh, don't hesitate if you want to contact me directly, doordoorgeek at gmail.com, or you can hit me off on any platform with like a DM private message. Um, if you need to actually talk one-on-one, um, we can set up a time kind of thing and we can talk. Um, I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thank everyone for their support. Thank for everyone for coming out live. Uh, Swift, uh, the general, as I call him, uh, W4XXX. Uh, and I do believe we had at least two other people come out. I can't find them right now. Uh, again, uh, we do this live every Saturday night when, of course, me and Bruce have time. Uh, and I will talk to everyone again real soon and never, ever forget. This is Linux. This is computing. If you do not have root, you really, really, really honestly have no idea who does. Uh, and I'll talk to everyone again in about a week. <laughs>